G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. From time to time, I come across stories that just have to be told. And one of those today of a Jewish convert to Christianity who grapples with the connection between being Jewish and following Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. Jilly Grant moved from Perth to Israel some years back and we're talking to her from Jerusalem in Israel today where she works as a counsellor and as a nurse in a pro-life ministry saving babies from abortion and finding sponsors for the mothers. Jilly's joining us. Hello, Jilly. Welcome along to 2020. Hi, Neil. It's good to be with you. Jilly, you've got an amazing story to tell, and not least of which of those elements of your story is that you came from a Jewish upbringing, and this was generations of a Jewish background, and then finding faith in Jesus Christ and recognizing him as Jewish Messiah. How do you, when you tell the story, how do you relate how that fits and how people understand what a difficulty in in recognizing Jesus is when you come from a Jewish background. Yes, Neil. Uh, the, the most difficult thing is is that you know when you I, I didn't actually grow up Orthodox. My my mother was a black sheep of the family, so she went away from Judaism before I was before I was born. But she taught us the prayers and things. But the difficulty is that many many Jews have been taught that Jesus is our enemy as a Jewish person. And because of all the anti-Semitism done in, in, in the name of Jesus, we're told, keep away from him, he's dangerous. In fact, they don't call him Jesus. They don't say Yeshua. They say Yeshu, which is short for may his name be wiped out. So I, I came from a, um, a, a very secular childhood with um, with elements of Judaism, but no elements of Christianity. I'd never heard of really a a believing faith in Jesus until I was about 15 or 16, and I had a school teacher who who really believed. So that spiked my my interest at that age. And as I understand it, you saw God as a very far away, distant God. And is that typical for a lot of Jewish children who grew up in the environment, something similar to what you did? and Or is it similar for a lot of Jews as they understand that there is what God has spoken in the Bible, but they don't have necessarily a closeness of relationship to him? Well, I don't know if you've heard this saying, but if you have two Jews, you have ten opinions. So um, I would say that it's it would be very typical of somebody who was brought up in my lifestyle, secular and um, that... God was a God that you had to please, like in, in, in other uh, th- um, religions, that you have to do things. And, and in Judaism, it's to keep the law. And so there's 613 laws in, uh, in Judaism. Obviously, you don't have to keep them all because some of them are not relevant to you. But yes, it, it, made, it, made, it was very distant for me. And I think that's pretty typ- typical if you've come up in a, a childhood like mine, yeah. 
Your sister was the first one to break away from the family pack in that sense and Mm. discover uh, faith in Jesus Christ or Yeshua. How long was it Mm. after your sister made that transition, that conversion, to a point where you believed? And to tell us how that story unfolded. Well, my my older sister was saved, and then two years later, the other sister was saved. And so I, I, I didn't, that was when I, when I was about 15, 16, but I, I didn't get born again until I was 21. I went through, a ma- I was married to a beautiful man, and um, I used to drag him through to the churches. Once my sisters got, both got saved, I used to drag him to every church to try and hear what they were hearing. I could never hear it. A few times I went down the front because they asked us to, but nothing happened, and I dragged him down too. But he, 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 he um, died in a car accident. And during the grief of, of losing someone you love, I was very angry to God at first. And then I started reaching out to him. And my sister came over one day and said, she didn't even know I was thinking about suicide, but she said, Jilly, if, you, if you're thinking of throwing your life away, why don't you give Yeshua a chance? And so she left, not knowing that I got down on my knees and said, God, if you're there and I don't believe you are, Please show me if Jesus truly is the Jewish Messiah. And suddenly, after being in a long, dark tunnel most of my life, I saw a distant light and I started to walk toward it. And that's when I really, truly got born again. And there's all sorts of family dynamics that go on in a Jewish family. And your sister had broken away. And then all of a sudden you've joined her. Your mother was especially disappointed <laughs> that you had no longer held to your Jewish roots. Yes. My, my, first, my first sister got saved, then my second sister got saved, and my mother was literally, oy vey. Okay, I didn't bring you up Orthodox Jewish, but you're not supposed to do this. And so when I got born again, the same thing happened. It was like, oh, it can't be a phase. I, I, I'm wrong, my mum said. Must be something in it. And at that time, my brother, who was basically a heroin addict, because we'd come from a very abusive childhood, and each of us reached out for help in different ways. And my brother went to drugs, and he was in prison for trying to steal drugs. And, it, and he, too, became a believer. And when my mum heard he was her beloved son in Judaism, the son is, you know, the beloved son, the beloved child. And, he, and he, he, she said, if he changes... If he comes out and he doesn't touch drugs again, I'll believe in this Jesus too. And that's exactly what happened. My brother was born again. He came out and he never touched drugs, found a beautiful wife, got a beautiful job. And my mother became a believer too. She had a difficulty mentioning the name Jesus for the first year because it was so opposed to everything she'd been brought up with. But after a year, she knitted a sweater with Jesus written on it and used to wear it everywhere. So we were, we were truly saved from, from nothingness, really, to, to a wonderful faith in Jesus. And, Jilly, as I mentioned, just as I asked that question, I said uh, you've departed from the faith, but I imagine that when you discover faith in Yeshua, in Jesus Christ as Messiah, you're not really departing from Jewish faith. You're actually discovering yeah. a fulfillment of that Jewish faith. How do you see your relationship with Jesus and, and the relationship that you really have with the roots that go back so many generations? Yes. 
Neil, that's a fantastic question. Thank you for asking it. I, I think that for Jewish people, it's very difficult to find the Lord. And when you do, you're too Jewish for the Christian church and you're too Christian for the synagogue. So there's a bit of a dilemma of where do you fit. And I, I think when I, when I left England and went to Australia, that was the reason God took me to Australia. He surrounded me with people, um, Jewish people who had found their Messiah. And they encouraged me to find my true faith and, and really find a fulfillment in, in all the Old Testament prophecies and in my life. And once I realized I didn't have to abandon anything, that I could take the best of, of Judaism and the best of Christianity, it, I felt like I fitted like a glove fitting on my hand. It felt like I'd found a faith where I could relax and be myself in. That's so important in, in faith, to, be, to feel at home with who you are and, and what you believe. Jilly Grad is our guest. We'll continue to hear some more of Jilly's story in just a few moments of someone who was raised as a Jew and who found faith in Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. We're back with more shortly. We're taking the opportunity to tell the story of Jilly Grant. Jilly discovered Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. She was raised as a Jew, but she and her family have found Jesus as Lord and Messiah. Now, that creates all sorts of difficulties. Jilly's moved back from Perth to Israel, and she lives in Jerusalem. She's on the line with us from Jerusalem now. Jilly, when we talk about the sorts of transitions that go through in the life of someone who is a Jew, who becomes, and I'm not sure how you describe yourself as a Messianic Jew or a completed Jew, but when you're on the streets of your hometown in Jerusalem, how does that all work when you are someone who believes Jesus is the Jewish Messiah? That's a good question, Neil. I, uh, when I first came, I had to be very quiet for the first three years because if they find out that you do believe in Jesus, you get sent back to where you've come from because they say if you believe in Jesus, you're no longer a Jew, you're a Christian, and you have no right to be here. So that was the first dilemma I, I, I encountered. But day to day, I have people, when I talk, my, my, my passion is to speak to Jews about Jesus and that he is the Jewish Messiah and that he is for them. And... I don't believe anybody in the world can find a way back to the Father without coming through Yeshua. It's so important. And from a distant God, he's become a very close father to me, and, which is surprising. I never had a father that was decent and good. And so he's a very decent father. And so whether I'm in my, the counseling rooms doing counseling or whether I'm walking on the streets of Jerusalem, it's very important for them to know that I'm still Jewish if I'm talking about Jesus to Jews. The first question they'll ask me is, do you, do you fast on Yom Kippur? And I say, yes, I fast on Yom Kippur. Do you keep Shabbat? Yes, I keep Shabbat on Saturdays. Do you celebrate the feasts? I celebrate all the feasts in my house. In fact, Australia, if any of you Australians want to come and visit me in Jerusalem, please come at feast time and you can come and have a meal in my house. But sorry, Neil. Um, and, and so if, if they say to me, um, so do you celebrate Christmas or Easter? And I find it very important to say, no, I don't celebrate Christmas. The truth is I celebrate Jesus' birth in Sukkot. But they don't need to know that at the beginning. And, and so they say then, well, you're still Jewish. And so now I'll listen to you because you've got credibility because you're still Jewish. If, I was, if they thought I'd completely left my Jewish faith, 
I w- they wouldn't want to listen to me. They'd call me a traitor, probably spit in my face. Some have, actually. But, but so it's, it's important that I feel at home with my faith and who I am. And, and that comes out when I'm talking to them. I don't need to beg them to come to the Lord. Nobody comes to the Lord unless the Spirit draws him. I just have to be part of that. And of course, as Australian Christians, we wouldn't feel an obligation to uh, to adhere to those Jewish feasts and those rituals that Jews go through. But yet we'd also say oh. it's not wrong to do those because those things are biblically founded. And so really, as a, a person who is a completed Jew, someone who's a Messianic Jew like yourself, you can participate in all of those Jewish feasts and celebrations and they are actually even more meaningful to you now that you understand who Christ is. Oh, so true, Neil. So true. Like Passover before, it didn't, it didn't have that meaning that Jesus is a Passover lamb. And Sukkot in Pentecost, it didn't have any meaning. But now it's really, it, I really feel a completed Jew that I can understand the prophecies of the Old Testament. The thing is, if you read the book of Leviticus where it says about the feast, the, the, the important thing for me as a Jew is it's a permanent and everlasting covenant that God wants me to do these feasts. So it's an obligation, but it's a joyful obligation. It's a delight for me to do these things, especially Sukkot and Shavuot. But for, for Christians, you're invited to too. It's, it's a wonderful thing to do. You, you're not obligated to do it. You're right. But there's such a flavor and there's such a, 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 a fulfillment of prophecy in those seats. So please, if you're ever in Jerusalem, come visit me. Okay. Look, you're a nurse. You were nursing for 30 years. And these days you are involved in a counseling ministry. You're working with mothers and particularly mothers who are thinking about or who have gone through a process where they've almost got to a point where they've decided they want to have an abortion. Tell me about the sort of work that you do today, Jilly. Yes. Well, I, I believed I was coming to be a nurse. I'd been a nurse in Australia and London for 30 years, as you say. And when I got here, there was something technical wrong with, with uh, my practical experience. I hadn't done trauma. And I was 54. And they said, well, it's probably better you, you look for another occupation. I was gutted because uh, nursing was all I knew. But I heard God very clearly say, new wine for new wineskins. So I turned uh, over to him and after a few jobs, good jobs, I found my way into this um, charity, it is really, called Ba'ad Haim. And you're right, we save babies from abortion. They find us on Google, the mums, and they ring up the hotline for an abortion. And we try and encourage them to come into one of our offices. We have 18 counsellors throughout Israel. And if we can get them to come in for face-to-face counselling, we usually save 95%. In the last 10 years, we've saved 1,500 babies who are actually living and having a destiny because of the, the charity we do. Saving lives anywhere is so important, and so is saving life in Israel. Well, 1,500 babies saved over that 10 years, and there's an element of what you do, which I'd love to hear you enlarge on, and the idea of finding sponsors for those mums who actually do come into the centre. How does that sponsorship work? I imagine it's someone who's on call any old time for encouragement and to to help you think through issues very clearly. 
Yeah, it's what we do is we we sponsor we find sponsors for the mum. So we get a mum who's talking about uh, aborting, and we we say to them, look, if you decide to keep your baby, we, we will support you for the first year of that baby's life until you've sorted your your budget and your and your finances out a little better, and you get a job. So what happens is we we find sponsors throughout the world. So if we find them in America, which we do. They uh, covenant to give us fifteen one thousand five hundred shekel uh, dollars, and that pays for everything we do. So the mum comes in, and, and and we say to her, two weeks before delivery, we will buy you all the furniture in the nursery. So we'll buy you a new cot, a new stroller, and a new bath. And then every month, you can come to our, one of our offices, and we will give you a card with with the equivalent of a hundred dollars um, in it. Plus, we give you a big bag of food and we provide all the diapers for the year. And we give you clothes for the baby if you live near one of our centers. We have four centers. So it's, it's like uh, that. once that baby is born and we've got the sponsor, sponsor we then send the sponsor a, a letter saying, Dear sponsor, this is the name of your baby, the name of the mother. This is how much she weighed. This is what she's up to at the moment. Please pray for her. And then at the end of the program, and we send a picture, and at the end of the program, we, we, get, we send another letter, and usually we allow, allow the mum to express how much, how much she's appreciated and what this life saved has meant to her. So it's, it's, uh, we don't actually put them in connection with each other, but the, but the sponsor can write letters to her, her the sponsee anytime. So it's, it's a good program. It, it helps us because we, we get no government funding, although we've just received an award from the Knesset the first ever Messianic um, charity to receive award from the Knesset for our work among, among women. But they don't want to sponsor us. They don't, they don't want to fund us. But we prefer to have private funding because it means we can give the gospel any time, and we do. So quite a few of them have become believers. Look, I'm inspired by the generosity that happens through the ministry that you're a part of. Uh, Jilly, you're a Jew. You've found faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, you're working through all of those issues that you do when you're on the streets of Jerusalem. How do you fit in there? How do you be a witness for Christ on the streets? Now, you're a part of a local church in Jerusalem, and it's like a daughter church to what was known as the King of Kings Church. What's so special about gathering with that particular group of believers? And I imagine that many of them are Messianic believers just like you. Yes, well, many of them are. It's called the Heritage Service, but it's just a temporary name because we're going to launch as a proper congregation in in, um, April. We do need your prayers in this congregation. It is one of the few congregations that speak in English and Hebrew because we want to be very open to the international visitors that come, the tourists. We want it to be a place of pilgrimage that they can come and feel at home with the family of Yeshua in, in Jerusalem. And so we've, we've had a few challenges because, um, you know, there, there is some persecution, especially to King of Kings from the Orthodox community because they're such a, they're such a successful um, congregation that they... That they minister to the Jews in the street, in a soup kitchen and in, in other ways. I work for King of Kings, a uh, volunteer in a, in a, in a um, counselling um, centre. So it's, it's, I'm very connected and joined to them. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's something very needed in Jerusalem because many of the local congregations, they only speak Hebrew, there's no translation. And they're not really that welcoming sometimes to um, visitors because they want to develop in a native church, so you can understand it. 
But this one is different. And so I'm very excited to be, um, to be part of it and in at the very beginning and helping to build it. It's exciting. Of course, Sorry, did that answer your question, Neil? <laughs> it does, except to say uh, that Christians, of course, we do church in all sorts of different ways, and uh, certainly was interested in how Jewish people who are Messianic Jews actually do church, and and uh, I was interested in the idea that there are some things that are a part of your fellowship, like dancing and intimate praise and worship, that are a, an integral part of the way that you do your worship. Yeah, we, we, we think, I'm sure everybody thinks that the same, but in Jerusalem we feel that life is very tough, it's, it's full of challenges because of the terrorism things, that we need the presence of God like never before. And so one of the things, the most important thing in our congregation is that we welcome God in every service and we, we recognize that he's not there. We really sense a, a, a very heavy anointing on the dancing and the, and the praise. So there's, there's, there's Jewish believers and there's, and there's Christians and, there's, and we're all the same. We're all equal. We don't lift anybody up above another, but we do see people's gifts and we encourage those gifts. So we have a lady who leads the dance. It's wonderful. Some other people who are in part of the worship team and we worship in Hebrew and English. So the most important thing always is the presence of God. Well, Jilly Grant is our guest, a Jewish convert to Christianity and sharing about her own transition and what it means to become a Messianic believer, someone who is a Jew but believes on Jesus Christ and involved in an amazing counselling ministry, helping mothers uh, to overcome that temptation that's there to abort their babies and a part of a church in Jerusalem. And Jilly, just so good getting some insights into your life. And uh, I want to thank you and appreciate it so much that you've been able to share your heart with us and tell your story for Aussie listeners here in Australia. Jilly, thanks so much for being with us today on 2020. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Absolute pleasure, Neil. Thank you. Love you, Australia. Love you. Bye. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.